Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Vice President and Principal Analyst Shar Van Boskirk and Analyst Stephanie Liu to discuss Forrester's 2020 predictions for B2C CMOs and marketing leaders. Welcome, Shar and Stephanie. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. So before we dive into 2021 and what we're predicting there, can we start with maybe just some short reflections of, you know, what happened in 2020, the dynamics that CMOs and marketing leaders were dealing with, and perhaps how that's sort of setting things up for what you think is going to happen in 2021? So in spring of 2020, Forrester actually revised its overall marketing forecast to account for a lot of the climate changes that we were observing because of health concerns and just a vast economic change. And a few major headlines came out of that research. The first observation is, of course, budgets are shifting. We're seeing spend shift away from traditional media investments and into things that can help improve automation and some internal headcount investment. So think of this as movement away from media that's not very flexible and into things that are more about adding automation and flexibility within to the organization. The other change that we observed is that CMOs are looking to shift away from being just a a promotions team or a creative team or a media team and into a function that can actually help make strategy decisions for their companies. So think of this as maybe moving away from the promotional P of marketing and into the product price and placement piece of marketing, thinking about how today a company might need to redefine their product strategy, the products that they build, their pricing models, and maybe even the placements where you see their products available. So a quick example of this would be like Purple, the mattress company, actually now making seat cushions in addition to their traditional mattresses because so many people are working from home, sitting on their kitchen and dining chairs um, and needing a seat cushion. So lots of innovation in, in terms of how the CMO and the marketing function is playing a role in terms of helping businesses advance. On the consumer side, we've also seen, of course, the pandemic disrupted you know, the way we go about our day-to-day lives, um, but we've also seen new privacy regulations come to bear. So uh, I believe CPRA is going to pass this week um, based on the latest uh, estimates and Brazil's got a new privacy law. Like the privacy landscape continues to, to shift and it's something that marketers need to be attuned to. Um, And then you've got tech companies making their own decisions about how to protect consumers' privacy. So the third-party cookie is officially going to be phased out by 2022 by Google, um, following the leads of Firefox and Safari. So it's it's a very uh, dynamic landscape between not only the pandemic, but you've got privacy regulations, the tech companies making decisions, um, and then you've got you know brands responding to those tech companies. For example, the the Facebook boycott that was this year, um, the, and the Stop Hate for Profit campaign. Um, a lot of brands signed up for that, and I think it's it's been a very busy year, uh, even looking past the pandemic. And so I feel like, you know, Shar and Stephanie, as you kind of have this as your backdrop, 
there's been a real focus on who is your customer? What does your customer want? How do you continue to build that relationship, that trust from a privacy perspective? So is that, as you look to 2021, a theme across, you know, what's sort of a priority on the CMO and marketing leaders um, agenda is kind of maybe getting back to basics and understanding what your, who your customer is, what their desires are, what their wants are, and how to build that relationship a bit deeper. Well, let's be honest, Jen. I think a lot of the best practices that we're seeing emerge out of 2020 were ideas that were good ideas in a pre-pandemic world. It's just that the uh, obviousness of these best practices became very pronounced in crisis situations. So a few examples we're seeing marketers shift to more of a dynamic planning approach. It has been years in the works. It, it, the, the, the marketing leader knew years ago that the idea of planning 12, 18 months in advance was, was well out of touch with the pace that their customers were making decisions in. And so now it's just become very painful to recognize that the media investments that you put in place in the end of 2019 were irrelevant in 2020. So that's catalyzing changes that were good ideas before that are just imperatives today. Things like understanding your customer, solving their problems, but maybe understanding your customer in a very real-time capacity which involves smarter data strategies, better listening capabilities, and then internally the ability to respond and take action on the insights that you're collecting in a really dynamic way. Shara and I wrote a report on that this year um, on people-led planning. And one of the companies we interviewed was talking about um, their goal to to improve their use of social listening to really react to consumer trends in real time. Um, And they had some both some uh, strategic decisions that they wanted to make around that because it's a um, it's a it's a Minnesota-based company, so they were they were closely monitoring the Black Lives Matter protests, but also just on a lighter note with their finding opportunities to connect with consumers. When avocado toast became the big millennial trend a couple of years ago, they were saying that that was actually a missed opportunity to connect with millennials um, because that was one of their key audiences where they were trying to expand their presence. Um, and, and the interviewee, she was really um, honest about her disappointment that they couldn't react sooner to that make and join part of that conversation. And so how how has this translated budget-wise in terms of investments. So Shar, you kind of kicked the conversation off about, you know, the sort of inevitable impact of the pandemic and things on budgets, but the shift to automation, other programs, like where are the dollars going in 2021? What are those investments specifically? So we're actually watching budgets move out of traditional media Um, and into digital media, which is also a trend that was happening pre-pandemic. But the headline now is that offline media will never again be the largest share of the overall media pie. And this is precisely because of what we've been talking about, that you think about the flexibility needed to change the location of where you might have 
advertising, to change the message of what you might be saying, to change the offer based on what you have in stock, what's available, what the status is of your supply chain, that all of those decisions are things that are much, much more difficult to change in a real-time capacity in offline media. So that's one big budget shift is moving a more significant investment into digital tools. In fact, we're expecting that even offline capacity like a billboard will have some digital capability as part of it because of this year, because of the need to be able to to be more responsive to particular location-specific changes that an advertiser must consider. Um, The other things that we're seeing are a slight increase in spend on measurement and analytics tools, and then marketing automation. And I think this makes sense too, precisely to the points that Stephanie was just raising, that in order to be able to determine if the marketing investments you're making are working for your particular customers in sensitive regions, You have to have better analytics that aren't just studying things at a DMA level, for example, but are actually able to discern household-specific responses based on their health or economic situations, and then also based on whatever limitations or restrictions are existing within their market. So a slight increase in spend on tools to help do that. And then an increase in spend around marketing automation, the tools that are actually facilitating essential communications. So things that are helping to make sure that messages are getting delivered, messages are getting out to individual consumers or individual households. And then a slight investment uh, increase in tools that are improving process to help with organizations that have maybe lost headcount or have had to consolidate some of their external agency partners, the marketing automation tools might be offloading some of the work that had previously been been done by human resources. And that dovetails with the B2C predictions we're making for 2021. Um, So we're predicting that spend on loyalty and retention marketing is going to increase by 30% uh, because brands really want to stay top of mind with consumers. And they have fewer opportunities to do that now when when our our out-of-home experiences are being so drastically disrupted. Um, And so we, we think there will be a huge uptick in not only the number, the the amount of money going into these tools, but also the marketing message volume that we're going to get. A lot of that will be through email because it tends to be the cheapest uh, messaging format, but we'll also get more, more SMS, more push notifications, um, just more messages in general. And we're starting to see these messages shift. I'm getting more emails now that are meant to reassure me. They're not necessarily trying to sell me a product. It's just reassuring me about their health protocols. Um, I got an email from a brand I haven't shopped from in two or three years now, reminding me that they've they've been in business for 25 years and know what they're doing. It's not that pure play promotional um, promotional kind of message, which goes back to Shar's earlier point, right, of marketing is moving beyond just the promotional aspect of the four Ps. Um, And I think marketing automation definitely plays a role there, right? When, as Sharp mentioned, if you have fewer resources, the ability to offload some of those processes and decisions to machines um, definitely helps when you are strapped for time or strapped for money. And so how is that playing in terms of the 
the CMO's remit. I mean, I feel like, Char, we've had this conversation and you sort of teed it up earlier in terms of this sort of extending, um, you know, beyond your promotion kind of bucket where maybe CMOs have been pigeonholed um, historically, or at least for the last, you know, handful of years. But this sort of relationship building, the customer experience, the, the, the focus on the customer, are we going to be seeing, you know, the CMO job description be changing, be more formal, taking over these pieces? What are your thoughts there? So Forrester has called for CMOs to assume a more strategic leader for years. We have expected and have uh, worked with CMOs to become the drivers of customer obsession at their firms. But the reality sort of pre-2020 is that um, CMOs universally haven't taken that lead. They, in fact, have ceded control to a chief customer officer or a chief experience officer, or in some cases, a chief digital officer. And so what I am expecting to happen in 2021 is that CMOs who do not assume a leadership role and do not help push their businesses toward success and move in a pivoted way out of this recession won't have a role within their organization. There will be attrition for CMOs that just continue to maintain a purely functional role. Um, and I think one of the, the big um, eurekas here is that many poor performing CMOs, or maybe that's unfair, maybe CMOs who have played a much more tactical role are going to be discovered. They're going to be found out. They can't keep hiding behind the strong returns of a good economy because the economy is going to show that businesses have to work harder. They actually have to come up with a way that they are adjusting their business model to better suit the needs of their customers today. And it is the CMO who should figure out how to do that. So when we think about what that means the CMO changes, what do you pivot? First of all, you, you change the way you think about what your role is, that you think about being a leader within the organization to solve your company's challenges and deliver value to your customer. That's different than just waiting for someone else to come up with the answer and then promoting it through media or marketing communications. This is about coming up with the solutions as the CMO and working them through the organization. We're also expecting that a good CMO will retrench the foundation of your marketing function. This isn't just about kind of band-aids on top of broken pieces, but actually looking for the fundamental flaws that might be around the mindset of what marketing is for, might be around insight, insights that actually are collecting uh, qualitative and quantitative insights about customers and processing them in a dynamic and real-time way. It might be about retrenching processes so that you're not just relying on processes that have been in place for the last decade, but thinking about how can we work in a flexible, agile, and adaptive way so that we are moving fast in order to stay in front of our customers. And then it might also change the way that folks think about talent. To Steph's point, how can technology be a resource that augments the talent that you have? 
How can you think about the actual skills that you need to build a strategic marketing function instead of just filling headcount or instead of managing to um, a number of folks that you can afford? And then the last thing I'll say is that I think we're expecting CMOs to make changes quickly, that waiting around for sort of the right opportunity um, has has not been effective and there couldn't be a more right time to make change. I've been telling CMOs that there's never been a safer time to take risk because the bottom is falling out of a lot of businesses. So if you don't change something, if you presume that status quo will get you through, that is in fact the riskiest choice to make this year. And taking a chance, trying something different, working in a different way, pivoting your business model, adjusting the way you might price, this is the perfect time to do that because every dynamic that was in place before this year is gone. And how does that, you know, we just talked about investing in retention and loyalty programs. And I feel like those sorts of programs have been a little bit on a hamster wheel. Like everyone sort of has the same loyalty program. You're engaging in the same way. But if there are more investments in those, is are the nature of those programs changing? Or is that is that what you're you're sort of thinking or even seeing today as there's more investment and people either are relaunching with new types of programs or engaging in their customers in different ways. It's not um, as transactional, perhaps they've been in the past. It's a great question. I think we will see a shift here. And when our inboxes are inundated with more messages, right? You you have to work harder to stand out from the crowd. So we always talk about, and by we, I mean brands and marketers, we love to talk about personalization. And usually when I get on inquiries with clients, I have to break down what that means. Um, You know, what are you personalizing? At what point? What goals are you trying to drive? And it becomes a, a pretty tangled web of questions pretty quickly. Um, but ultimately, right, it needs to be about improving the experience and, and driving loyalty. So what that means is is trying to be more proactive and more helpful in your messaging, trying to respond to the customer's um, behaviors or an insight that you've picked up from them, as opposed to what we see today with a lot of messaging, which is basically a batch and blast. Um, and I see this a lot, especially in the mobile messaging space. Um, there's the propensity to determine, you know, I've decided I'm going to send one message to my entire customer base who's opted in. Um, it's just a broadcast just to let you know about an upcoming sale, for example. There's no personalization. There's no aspect of, you know, based on what you've purchased before or what you've looked at, we're going to tweak aspects of the of the email or the, uh, the mobile message. Um, I think there are brands who are starting to rethink that strategy. I'm really trying to get down to one-to-one personalization and what that means. And I'm also seeing a huge uptick in interest from companies who are asking me about zero-party data, about asking directly from the customer, what are you interested in and how can we send things that are relevant to you? Um, I just got that today from... Um, from a baby company, actually, and they were asking um, if I'm shopping for a friend, if I'm the expecting mother, if I'm a family member, 
Um, and it totally changed the kind of onboarding message I got, which is great because if I'm not the mom, right, that immediately sets up for some highly irrelevant emails. Um, but in this case, shopping for a gift, right, I was able to tell them, you don't need to spam me for the next nine months. You know, I was just poking around for, for a specific product. So Stephanie, knowing that this is a hot topic with clients, can you share an example of some really great personalization? So Brooklinen relaunched its loyalty program to essentially move away from a pure cash back kind of rewards program to one that um, is more uh, more expansive. So you, you can get perks for different kinds of things like sharing on social, uh, they added the refer a friend capability. So it's not simply, you know, you buy X amount of dollars and you get X, X coupon at the end of the year, uh, but just thinking more, more holistically about loyalty and what that means outside of a pure purchase driven program. I'll add one additional thought to Steph's comment, which is, I also think we're going to see improvements in creative. And if you think about just generally innovation comes out of a place of constraint, when when companies have fewer resources or extreme circumstances, that's when we all get the most innovative. And so I think we, we're expecting to see improvements in creativity as businesses have to come up with different ways to explain themselves, different ways to represent themselves, and are maybe working with fewer resources. You've probably seen just in your own consumption of media, changes in terms of the types of commercials you're seeing, things that are being done with much lower production volume and production um, resources, because we, we can't do these big crowded dance numbers right now. And so I actually think we can expect to see more creative utilization of the resources that companies do have available. Um, one of the, the predictions that we have for next year is that companies will actually improve their diversity, not just in response to social concerns for diversity, but also because diversity actually begets creativity. So the idea of having more points of view from more people with different backgrounds makes it easier to come up with different inventive ideas that will resonate with a diverse customer group. So creativity will be needed because of the climate we're in and necessary because of constrained resources and diversity will actually help drive more applications of creativity. A few examples of companies that are innovating outside of just plain marketing promotions. So as we think about uh, some of the invention that can happen around the other P's of marketing, place, price, and product, um, a few examples come to mind. One example is Coca-Cola, where Coca-Cola actually announced fairly publicly that they would be trying to spend the, the money that they didn't spend in the first part of the year before the end of 2020 to help promote product, certainly, but also to try to infuse the ecosystem of its advertisers, its suppliers, and its channel partners to, to have more solvency. So one of the things Coca-Cola is doing is actually 
giving money to its local uh, stores and convenience stores that are selling Coke products so that they can advertise. So an interesting shift away from just traditional media and actually into some of their partners to foster vibrancy in their overall ecosystem. Um, in a different example that's also kind of clever, John Lewis, the uh, UK-based retailer, just got approval to actually rent out some of its retail space as office buildings. Now, this is in part to fill a revenue shortfall for them because they don't have folks in the retail stores purchasing retail product, but it's also to try to expand some of John Lewis's overall brand proposition in terms of the role that it plays within its community. Then on the side of product innovation, Peloton is another example similar to that purple example that I mentioned, where Peloton is trying to invent new kinds of products by offering family-friendly programming. So imagine now many of us are home with kids that are home from school or doing uh, some portion of their school at home. Peloton is offering family-friendly programming so you with your kids can use your Peloton as part of the physical fitness class that you might be uh, helping to coach your child through. And then my last example actually comes from Accor Hotels, which similar to some other hotel chains, has actually launched a day booking concept. The idea here is, of course, hotels are experiencing a, a lag in business and leisure bookings. So they're trying to compensate by offering a new type of pricing model, where for folks that might need to work from home, but need a particularly quiet space or some amount of separation from their home environment for the day, they can actually book a, a day rate at a hotel to go and use the hotel room with its conveniences and its Wi-Fi as an office away from their home office. And Accor actually is selling those in, in packages. So you could buy almost a subscription and then use that access whenever you needed a, a home office away from your home office. Those are great examples. Yeah, such great examples because it really puts it into life, like what that remit could and should be for, for the CMO and the marketing leader, right? So as we reflect and also look to 2021, you know, what is a you know one to two pieces of advice that you're giving clients today, um, you know, as we kind of bring 2020 to a close and as they approach 2021? Shara said something really important that I want to reiterate, which is now is a great time to take risks, right? And we we saw this when we were doing the research for the marketing planning report. It's really scary to change the things that you are familiar with, especially for something as fundamental as how you build your marketing plan. But this really is the opportunity. And I'm hearing this from, from the marketing resource management uh, vendors that I talk to as well. So why not take a step back and reevaluate how we're going to do things differently in 2021? Um, Shar mentioned, you know, the huge shift away from traditional out-of-home media to digital forms, um, what that looks like, how to be more responsive, more reactive. And this really is, it is sort of a a blessing in disguise. Um, it's, the, it's a great opportunity to really rethink how you're going to approach 2021, um, regardless of, you know, the pandemic or, or the economic outcome, um, to just be more responsive to your customers. I, I would build on that point to say 
my words of advice to a CMO are to get in and do the work. This is not the year to wait for someone else to give you direction or to lead and to just, you know, lay back and wait for the circumstances to be made more clear. Get in, make decisions, and then be present in the work. This is also not the year to look for someone lower in the organization to be telling you the operational status of your team. The CMO should be in the work, running the numbers, reading the reports, making the decisions, um, building out the segments, actually getting involved and doing the work. And I think that will have a, a, a secondary benefit, which is an emotional one for your team, that by being present, and showing your team that you're involved, that you're committed, um, that you're there every day communicating the status of the business and the decisions that you're making. It will also be motivating while everyone is um, a little less connected than perhaps we normally are as we're all uh, in, a, in a little bit of an isolated situation. Great guidance, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.